Market. The S&P, the ISX stocks. This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, our special Sunday mailbag edition. I'm Scott Phillips. With me on this sunny, well, Thursday, but pretending it's Sunday, is it Dr. Nibon Marty? How are you, buddy? I'm good. I'm very good. Now, mate, you were about 15 minutes ago, you were excited about Apple. I assume you're still excited about Apple this pretend Sunday. Yeah, very excited. Super excited. Good Phenomenally know. excited. Should we move on? Yeah. We've got a bit Let's to cover. I teased this on Friday. If you had no chance to listen to Friday's episode, you should because some great content and frankly, you know, why wouldn't you want to listen to an hour of Doc and I talking? But I did tease a question from Dion and that's how we're going to kick off this particular episode, mate. Now, I'm being a little bit cheeky here. I said to you, I found it on our Facebook feed while I was finishing up the last episode and I haven't even shared this one with you so I get your instant reactions. I have had a quick look at them but I haven't tried to think about any of them so I don't have a strong answer. Uh, we'll play a bit of a, a bit of a rapid fire. Let's let's remind our listeners what Dion asked, mate. He said, hey, fools, thank you for spending an hour each week on your podcast to answer our questions. I thought perhaps we would mix it up a bit, so why don't we play a game? I'm going to offer you 10 pairs of investment ideas, and you will have to make a decision on which one you would prefer to invest in over the other. No fence-sitting, he says, so we'll try and hold to that. Just shoot from the hip. Are you ready to play our game, Doc? I'm ready. Here we go. Let's do it. Would you invest in which one of the two? You can't say neither. You can't sit in the fence. Would you invest in the ASX 200 or the S&P 500? S&P 500. Same for me. Would you invest in the FANG stocks? Now, he's only got one A, but let's assume there's two A's. Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Netflix, and Google. Or the NASDAQ 100. I like this one. Uh, NASDAQ 100. Why? Well, well, I think you get a little bit more diversification. And I think you get this opportunity where something, if, you know, something could displace these fan guys mm. right I mean there's always the potential that somebody who's outside say the top five or top six mm. is actually grows in much faster it eventually you know becomes a top five so that, that's the you know yeah and plus those top five are, are pretty big companies so you're actually relying on the extra growth that you can get from some of the smaller ones completely agree I would go NASDAQ 100 as well we'll try and argue more Doc with two for two lithium versus uranium I like this one too. <laughs> uh, probably if so, this is an ETF, is it, or uh, or just, just as a commodity? Would you okay. invest in lithium? Lithium as an so if you, if you had to pick the price of either, would you go outperform? We'll say pick ten years for fun. Would you invest in lithium or uranium? Uh, lithium. Why is that? Uh, just because I think you know it's all it's the source of uh, or the metal that goes into the batteries. So I'm going to go uranium, mate, because I reckon uranium is probably cheaper in a relative sense. I think everyone's already expecting lithium to be big and I expect okay. that supply and demand, the supply may come on stream and keep the price low. So from a from a purely commodity kind of cycle, supply and demand perspective, I'll go uranium, but I, I agree with you on lithium. The demand will be huge. Airlines or banks? I like this one too. <laughs> it's good, hey? Dion, you've absolutely nailed it, mate. So Thank you for these great questions. Yeah, I, I, I wish I could say no. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I know you're not. So. Dion's um, already set the rules for us. Well, uh, banks. Why? Why airline, by definition, is a pretty bad business. <laughs> well, what he didn't, if he had to put specific examples, like yep. you know, specific airlines, uh, okay, the global airline index or the global or the Australian bank index. Let's put it. Let's. Oh, uh, okay. Well, right now, then I would mm-hmm. pick the global airline index. Okay. The, because the global airline index is absolutely shattered. <laughs> <laughs> so, if that's the way you want to take it, yeah, I'll take the airlines in that case because you know I, I think there's a higher chance of a rebound. Mm-hmm. The banks are not really that cheap. So, I think I have to agree. I, I'd rather not. I'd, I'd rather have an argument about this, but I think I completely agree. Just on price alone, airlines seem to be the obvious choice, right? Um, assuming we can exclude Virgin from that. All right. 
Oh, okay. Cybersecurity versus robotics and automation. So if again, pretend like pretend there's an ETF, mm. a cybersecurity ETF or a robotics and automation ETF. Oh, this is a hard one. Um, it's good, huh? Um, I'll take cybersecurity. Why? Well, so I think actually I do think robotics and uh, automation is going to be actually very very important and is going to play a key role. Mm. But I don't think you would find pure plays in in the automation and robotics field because that is going to be right. inside other tech companies. Okay. Fair right. So again, it really depends yeah. on the constitution. So if the constitution of the the of the ETF that he's yeah. talking about has yeah. those companies, then I would have picked that one. Okay, but I think I think there's a lot of pure plays in cybersecurity, and cybersecurity is going to be huge. It's mm-hmm. going to actually get even bigger. Um, so I think you just. Just from that, you know, point of view. So I think if you just think of TAM, I think yeah. uh, robotics. But uh, uh, so all value is created by robotics, but you can't capture it in the same way you can capture cybersecurity. As, as uh, uh, yeah, that's basically what I'm saying. So like okay. you know, like I mean, Amazon is a big robotics player, but right. Amazon right. may or may not be yeah, in okay. the index because it might be classified as uh, okay. uh, I don't know as as like an online retail player. You know what I mean? Nice, nice, nice. Let me let me let me ask you half a separate question from Dion, just because I, I, I I'm getting your thoughts. Acknowledging the ETF thing is hard. If you could find a pure play robotics automation business or a couple of them would you be interested enough to buy those over a cybersecurity company or is it kind of one of the things where you need to have a large number of them because the, the future is relatively uncertain the The theme is right but trying to pick the winner is tough yeah so I think the theme is right and trying to pick the winner is, is really tough I think the problem as I said with automation and yeah. robotics is typically the winners are going to be those people who have other things to do with it like so for example Kiva Robotics which is was purchased by Amazon mm. that was that's what they actually use inside yeah, okay. their warehouse yeah that was a game changer for them right so yeah for sure. you can't buy okay. Kiva Robotics so. separately yeah. like I mean you can buy Intuitic Surgical which does robotic surgery mm, but that's mm, like you mm. know there are very few pure players okay in that form. And then otherwise, what you're going to get is you're going to get industrial companies, yeah. which tend to be very poor performers overall because they're in the, you know, their robotics division might be interesting, but they'll have a bunch of other things which are like mundane yeah. and not interesting. So that's, I think, the problem. Nice. Uh, I will... Oh, I, think, I, was gonna, I was absolutely going to get robotics automation for the same reasons you said, but then your points about how hard it is to actually invest in, I think I also agree with. So um, I, will, I will say I think there's more value-added to companies and to society by robotics and automation over the next 20 years and cybersecurity players. Um, not that neither, neither is unimportant, but I, I have to, I guess I have to agree. You, you know more about it than I do and I'm arguing with you on tech is really a good idea. Uh, let's let's go to one of your favorite sectors, mate. Commercial property or residential property? Let's say Australian <laughs> for the sake of being clear. If I, if I offered you two ETFs, I said you've got to put your, your whole lifetime's wealth <sighs> into commercial property or residential property. Which one do you go with? So commercial also includes office or no? Let's assume commercial is uh, office. Uh, and storage and all those. Yeah, sort of, office, uh, light industrial, uh, warehousing, the whole lot. I'll probably pick um, uh, residential. Yeah, I would too. Just mm-hmm. on, on occupancy? Well, it's just because of COVID and, you know, yeah. like, I mean, there's, there's so much disruption. I mean, you know, 
people have to still live somewhere, right? Yeah. <laughs> so by definition, they have to. They might not live in the CBD, mm. but they might decide to, uh, uh, you know, live in the southern highlands or whatever. Yeah, yeah. But so I, it's again, it's a little, it's a little bit hard actually. It's a good question, right? <laughs> yeah. Now that I start talking about it, yeah. Actually, I'll change my mind. Oh, okay. Yeah. So uh, this is Australia specific, right? Australia commercial versus Australia residential. Uh, I'll take commercial because okay. um, I think some of those the. Residential also suffers from the same sort of issues as commercial, mm. and I think just residential is overpriced. So actually, I'll, I'll, okay. t- I'll take commercial actually for this one. I would take warehousing over residential, but I'd take residential over the full commercial. I think the dollar value of the commercial property market, particularly in those high rise offices in a lot of CBDs, is as you talk about the residential move. I think that's if that happens, it's more impactful for the commercial prices and residential prices, ironically, because of that vacancy problem. So I will agree with you on the theme but I'll differ with you on how I think the outcome Some disagreement. Like it. USD or AUD from here? In other words, does the Australian dollar appreciate or depreciate against the US dollar? Oh, so which one is increasing? Well, effectively, I mean, the question effectively says if you have Australian dollars now, or do you do you buy US dollars or is it, does the AUD rise or fall? That's what he's really asking versus the US dollar. So, so I, think they're, I think they're roughly where they should be. Mm-hmm. If I had to make a bet... Yep, let's say... Let's say five years, just to pick. To yeah, if I had to make a bet, I think AUD is going to actually marginally increase over five years. Yeah, because okay. I think the, uh, the the reason is very simple. The mm-hmm. Fed has basically absolutely <laughs> set a floor, <laughs> saying right. we are not going to let that's right. go. So I think every other cu- country that's pegged against, you know, especially that's right. um, you know, especially those countries such as ours, which are dependent mm-hmm. on exports of uh, um, mm-hmm. of mined goods. Uh, I think a little bit of a disadvantage because of the Fed's flooring um, and Fed's change in you know how they're dealing with inflation, right? So I think, but it's only marginal. I think yeah. I will echo what the RBA governor says that I think the AUD is where it should be. He would like it lower, uh, but I think it's where it is. It maybe marginal will go up. So I would actually guess for the same. Funnily enough, again, it's funny how people can look at the same, even agree on the same um, circumstances, but find different outcomes. I think you're absolutely right about the Fed. I think it probably underpins U.S. economic growth, though, which actually strengthens the U.S. dollar. So as much as there's the interest rate differential, which is absolutely part of the exchange rate, the other one is the relative differences in economic growth. And I would take the same, a completely same view as you, for what it's worth, but find a different outcome, which is also bizarre. Um, I would say a marginal decline in the Australian dollar. So I reckon in five years' time, the dollar's worth a little bit less than it is now. Cool, interesting. Just for for, for fun. Let's go with, oh, this is cool. I think I know the answer to this one. Tesla versus Apple. Tesla. Oh, really? Yeah. For for um, potential gains? Yeah. Nice. I'll go Apple. There you go. Uh, we don't need to argue anymore about that. I think our listeners are well and truly comfortable with our views on those things. Emerging markets versus ethical investing. I love this. I love this um, juxtaposition, Dion. Nice one. So over five years, do the emerging markets as a group, do they beat ethical funds as a group? Uh <laughs> okay, I want to caveat this answer. In, in <laughs> the problem with ethical funds are that they, you know, the, an ethical fund might have something like Facebook in it, yep. which is not really an ethical company. Yeah, right. So, I mean, in in many ways, yeah. right? So, it's a purveyor of people's yeah. data. Is that really ethical? So, I don't know. Like, you know, here's the problem. <laughs> it really depends on what is there in each of those funds. So, like, I mean, without you know, a lot of these ethical funds would have stuff that is high growth, and you know, just somehow 
you know, can be repackaged as ethical. So, as totally, I completely agree with that. <laughs> so, given that, uh, yeah. you know, given the the propensity of good stuff <laughs> that is going to be uh, couched and sold as yeah. ethical, I'll just say ethical. Um, if it was true ethical, then yeah. we would have a different definition, maybe. I actually agree. I think for all the wrong reasons, ethical beats emerging. Um, whether it's Facebook, medical devices. I mean, these are you know, the, it's it. Ethical is a very, very, very lucky to have a very nice tailwind that is completely not of its own making. Just so happens that some of the fastest growing companies are going to be ones that don't don't miss any ethical filters. They're not pro actively ethical. This happens to not be in the extractive industries, or the lending industries, or the gaming yeah. industries. So, and yeah. that's fine. It's, it is what it is. I'm, there's no no criticism. But yeah. I don't think you. I don't think you. I, I don't think you gain value by being ethical in any meaningful sense. There, you just happen to have the the right mix of companies in the universe. Yeah. So it's not. You know, they're not selling. I mean, here's the thing, right? You could have Facebook Marketplace could be selling cigarettes. Yeah. Totally. And it will still be ethical. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so I mean, yeah. So I mean, yeah. For ethical, ethical and, and for all, the stuff. Yeah. Yeah. yeah sure. and, and I'm not arguing, you know, whether it's right or wrong. I'm just saying that, you know. So I think ethical wins for all the wrong reasons. Yeah, correct. Same. But but ethical wins. Here's one: Kogan, Harvey Norman. This is a just triple here. Or JB Hi-Fi. Dion's broken his own rules. Kogan versus Harvey Norman versus JB Hi-Fi. Whew. Um, I'll pick Kogan. Pretty easy, hey. Yeah. Let me, let me, let me uh, again just miss uh, miss the Dion's list. Harvey Norman versus JB Hi-Fi. Um. Uh, this is hard. I don't know. You, you know, <laughs> I was for a second going to say. You know, when you said all three, I was yep. actually going to say JB Hi-Fi. Like, oh. you <laughs> being. So if somebody was short JB Hi-Fi, yeah. there'd been a lot of pain. Oh yeah, because JB Hi-Fi has executed done and done, a, you know, has done extraordinarily well. Yep. So, um, and and you know, so there's there's always that chance that JB Hi-Fi actually does better. So, but yeah, but between those two, I think. So I was a very close second on, you know, I was trying to debate whether mm-hmm. I should should go with JB Hi-Fi okay. or or Kogan, but but I think Kogan has more tailwinds. Uh, between the other two, I think, I don't know much about. Uh, mm. Harvey Norman so I'd still go with JB Hi-Fi there yeah nice I, they're both they're both doing well I would actually go with Harvey Norman I've, I've done a little bit of work on these two recently just for share advice nothing we've recommended but just having a look um, funnily enough Harvey Norman's missed entirely the retail bounce back share price wise so it and again I haven't looked at this in about a week but it was last year about 12 times earnings JB about 18 times earnings now there is and you've made the point in the last podcast you know sometimes you, don't buy the inferior company just because it's a little bit cheaper because it can be cheap for the right reasons but when you pay fifty percent more for JB Hi-Fi, I reckon that's too high a premium for me. So I would go, given the choice, Harvey Norman over JB. We given that price as a pure business, I think Harvey Norman uh, JB Hi-Fi grows faster than Harvey Norman over the next five years. But I think the price is too good to ignore for Harvey Norman. I'm just going to call out this question because I had a disadvantage. <laughs> I had no idea what the P of these companies are. Here is so, the most important question of the list. Okay, you ready? Yeah, give it to me. Doc on TikTok versus Doc on Instagram. <laughs> well, that's an easy one. Uh, oh, is it? Yeah. Okay. So, as much as I dislike Facebook, <laughs> my problem is that I dislike my dancing even more. <laughs> so, so given my dancing would absolutely be ridiculous. <laughs> Although, here's a, maybe I'm showing you. Maybe ridiculous dances actually get you more v- votes. Right? I would have no idea. My so, so, word for yeah, it. so I'll have to ask. You know, this one I need to ask my daughter, which you would really do. <laughs> but right now, what do you think I, she'd say? <laughs> she probably say Instagram, so that's why I was going to say Instagram because okay. I don't know. I I can anybody can take photos yes. of random things like trees, cats. I would have thought your hatred of Facebook was enough to make it. I would I would have locked in TikTok for this for you. 
No, so like, like my hatred of stuff is not to that extreme. Like I said, I don't hate, I dislike the company's <laughs> reason for existence. Right. But that doesn't mean that if you have to choose mm-hmm. between two, I mean, the logical choice in my head seems to be, I can take photos, there I can you. really not dance. So <laughs> what do I do? I mean, I have two choices. You know, photos I can't win. say out, right? So I'll pass. Win. So I'll, I'll take Instagram. <laughs> well, buddy, I will. I would say TikTok, so I'd be wrong because it's a question about you. So I'll fess up to my own uh, my own error up front. All right, Dion says, thank you for playing. If you did, we did, Dion. Hopefully you enjoyed it. And congratulations on creating the first official Motley Fool Proof ETF. Dion. So there you go, Dion, mate. Thank you for that. That was that was a lot of fun, Doc. I hope you enjoyed that too. That was that was kind of cool. All right. Let's, let's go to a new, different question. We had a question from Sam. He says, morning, gents. I've got a question on asset allocation. Hopefully a valuable one for many listeners. As with many Aussies, my first investments were in Australian property. After much research and pontificating, I've become much less enthused with property and more focused on securities. Well, we would completely agree, Sam. The off-stated portfolio is 60% shares, 40% bonds. I know zero people who've purchased a bond, but many have real estate. Switching Does switching out the bonds for real estate seem reasonable to you? If so, what percentage of your net worth do you think would be best going forward? I'm currently 75% real estate equity and 25% shares. I'm considering selling one property to make it closer to 60-40 shares and real estate. Any comments or insights would be much appreciated. Sam... That's a really good question. We don't do asset allocation very frequently. Doc, what do you reckon? 60, 40, 75, 25, 30, 60, 100, 0? Yeah, so I'm not a big fan. Well, <laughs> so here my all my biases are going to come into it. <laughs> so um, I, I'm actually not a fan of Aussie property at all. Um, I think... Although you apparently commercial property have residential, you just said. So. Oh, well. So, <laughs> like, I mean, so like, I mean, yeah, like I mean, everybody needs a roof and all those things. Yeah. So it's fine. And, you yeah. know, if you run a business, you probably need a building or a shop front or whatever. So yeah. you could decide to lease it or, or own it, right? Yeah. I mean, those are the considerations. Um, so... My 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 higher level issue really is mm. people think they have X dollars of equity, mm-hmm. but the X dollars of equity is virtual equity because mm. you can't immediately get that equity, mm. right? Um, and you can't get it to sell, and selling is a whole deal compared to shares, for example. Yeah, exactly. So there's there's that component to mm. consider um, in in the dynamic, and yeah. then the equi- the equity is really. I, I mean, it takes time to sell, so there's no immediate liquidity uh, available for the so-called equity, right? And the equity could mm. be anything. You could think that you have hundred thousand dollars of equity, but actually, it is only fifty thousand right. dollars because I mean, when you realize it, that's the equity, and or it could be hundred and fifty. And why is it lower? Because the you think the price falls when you're selling. Is that what you're talking about? No, or? no, I'm say, I'm saying that you don't. So the people people's perception of equity yep. is equal to the valuation that they think the property has which is probably sometimes what the valuation of the valuer says or the bank says okay, right okay. Yep. and then you look at it and you look at the loan you have got and you minus it out and you think you've got equity right yeah yep. what i'm saying is you think you have something yep. but you don't know what you have until yep. you actually sell it whereas whereas if you've got stock equity yep. Well, you could sell everything, mm. and you actually have the cash yep. minus the brokerage, right? Yep. Which would which would not be, not be, uh, you know, significantly different from what your account balance is. So mm-hmm. that's that number one. Uh, so it's really hard, in my view, to figure out uh, the mm. equity component. Uh, personally, I don't consider um, any property in uh, my equity calculations, large or in my net. Net wealth calculations okay. because I don't consider the I mean I don't consider the home as part of my 
network. I mean, yeah, whatever, whatever you are, you need a place to live. So, um, so you have to pay for that. Yep. Um, it, it is worth more than if you're otherwise renting. So there is some value, even if only in the absence of rent required. But as you say, it's not really an, an investment asset in the same way. It's not an investment asset, and yeah. So I don't know. Like I mean, my if somebody had. A, I'm a shares person, so mm-hmm. my everything is in shares barring, mm-hmm. uh, or our everything is in shares barring one commercial property, which we have for different reasons, mm-hmm. um, which, as I said, is for business reasons. Yeah. So it's it's an investment, but, you know, it really and doesn't- If the business didn't exist, you wouldn't own the property, right? Yeah, absolutely not. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so I'm mostly 100%. I could see a 20 80 allocation okay. uh, where 20% is held in some other asset. Mm-hmm. Um, the, other, the thing I want to point out about uh, securities is or, and, and equities is that you can actually get exposure to real estate mm-hmm. via equities, sure. which would then give you exposure uh, with immediate liquidity. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's number one. The other thing is, you know, People talk about asset diversification, but mm. you know you could get asset diversification right now with with equities very easily. Whether you know you want to invest in different countries, different dollars, you know different asset classes, all of that is actually possible mm. using equities. You don't really need to hold physical assets, and you have immediate mm. liquidity. So that's that's my real reason for. You know, I'm not just saying that because I'm a stocks guy, but yep. I think you know I really feel that the immediate liquidity aspect is very important to me. I like it, mate. I um. Yeah, I, it's a, this is a hard one, Sam. So here's the thing. I think most asset allocation models are largely – I'm not a big fan of them. <laughs> I, went, I, went, I was going to go on a rant. I won't try. I'm trying to rant. The question you've got to ask yourself is what does the, what does the allocation give you as an investor? If, so if you have three asset classes and you have a strong belief one's going to outperform the other two, it makes no sense to own the other two at all. Right, I, I unless you're wrong, or B, which is what most people do, in in the case that you want diversification to protect yourself against volatility. So we know. I I, I was asked about this yesterday on the radio of all things. You know, so I know. Yeah, it was last night. Um, so you know, superannuation is up. Uh, you know, super, the average super fund was up one point seven percent in August, right? And people care about their super fund values. If people had their super only in shares. Their results would be much more volatile. They'd be much less happy about it. They'd be freaked out about it. They'd be worried about it. They'd wonder why their super's going down when the government's making them take money out of their pay. The, the psychological component of that is very different to the rational component. As a rational, or I try to be rational, Doc will tell you I'm sometimes irrational, but I try. Um, you know, I, I'm in shares because I honestly, I'm a shares guy, yes, but I'm a shares guy. I work for the fool because I was a shares guy, not vice versa. Um, Doc, I'm, I'm sure it's the same because he certainly came from a career outside outside investing as well. Um we we you know we both were investors before we joined the fool, and so we're not we're not talking our book in the same way as if we were you know if if I say this is an eighteen year old trainer and I've only ever done shares and I was doing that I'm in shares because I honestly believe it will be a better long term perform than any other asset class. So for me, having forty percent of my portfolio or twenty percent of my portfolio in in property would be unless circumstances change and valuations change, it would be an outright acknowledgement that I am going to earn less than I otherwise think I might. If I could have 100% shares, I would tomorrow. In fact, I do. That's in my entire investment portfolio. I was in shares. Um, not, I'm going to, I'm going to sacrifice volatility and, and you know, maybe the occasional sleepless night for better long-term returns. If you're 60, 40, you know, bonds or something, I think bonds is the world's worst investment. I don't understand for the life of me 
rationally will people buy bonds I mean I get why they do because A the advisors tell them to because advisors have to justify their, their fees and B they want that volatility protection I get it right but if I can get 6% without volatility or 10% with volatility I'm going to choose 10% every day of the week and twice on Sundays which bond gives you 6% no sorry I mean but as, as a total a total investment portfolio I'm saying yeah. like, so if I mix my shares and, and bonds yeah. and got an average of 6% because yeah. shares gave me 10 and bonds gave me 2 um, I, I was going to say bonds right? give you zero. Well, they're right, pretty much. <laughs> um, but even even property, same thing, right? Like yeah. is, you know, rents are low. Um, property may or may not recover. But I just think, you know, why would you? You, you can only you should only own the asset either because you want the emotional psychological protection, or because you actually believe those assets are going to outperform or perform as well as the others. And it makes no sense to me to do that. So um, it drives me nuts when people put bonds in their portfolios for any reason. If you're going to do it, at least acknowledge why you're doing it and be really clear about that for yourself. And as an advisor, be clear with your client. This will be a lower return for you over the next 40 years, but I think it's worth it because it'll keep you emotionally centered. Great. Knock yourself out. Do it. I think it's a really smart idea. But don't pretend that there's some some investing logic behind it that makes any more sense than simply taking the best long-term potential. That's a bit of a rant, Doc. Sorry. You, you know, I was going to say, you know, I think there's there might be a reason why this bond thing has been perpetuated, right? Uh, and bond salesman? <laughs> that for sure. <laughs> but, but you know, like I was just thinking when you were talking about it, mm. Like owning a bond is like owning a term deposit in many yes, ways, yes. right? I'll tell you, yeah, but yeah, yeah. for highest quality bond, it's yeah, like owning yeah. a term deposit in yeah, a bank. Really assuming the bank, you know, is guaranteed by yes. the government in in various places. Uh, uh, so, but I think for institutions, mm. I think like it makes maybe some sense for mm. institutions. Now, mm. The reason I'm saying this is now we don't want to live in a world where nobody buys bonds because then yeah, our, go- right. our government will not be able to issue any <laughs> any debt. Nobody's buying bonds, right? And all yeah. these corporations would not be yeah. able to issue debt because True. nobody's going to be buying these bonds. True. But there is a function for bonds because, you know, bonds are stable. They're paying a coupon or the coupon is the interest yep. for Institutions that have, you know, like institutions, like, you know, pension funds that need yeah. to deal yeah. with payouts and things like yes, that. They, they need, yeah. yeah. For them, mm-hmm. it makes absolute sense. And yes. I think, you know, maybe for them it's like 20%, 30%, whatever it is, the allocation, right? Just to manage and, cash flows and volatility, yeah. yeah. So it, and, or for governments that need to pay for certain things yeah. or for companies that want to, instead of keeping it cash, they keep it in coupons, yep. right? Or get yep. the coupons. So it makes sense. I think it perpetuates yep. from that. Yep. So, so there is a function yeah, for bonds. has held treasury bonds in the past as a proxy for cash, for example. It makes complete sense. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I think there's a function. It just doesn't have a function in the individual <sighs> common, yeah, you know, point. day-to-day investor's portfolio. Good point. Next question, mate, comes from, well, he says, Hi, Scott, please call me Sam. Uh, I'm not sure if that's his name, which wants to be called Sam. But either way, good day, Sam. Hey, Sam. Um, <laughs> do you reckon he's actually Sam or do you reckon he's just, you know, wants to be called Sam? Maybe his name is John. Just call me Sam. It's just Maybe Sam is the cool name. <laughs> you know, do you know the concept of Dear John letters? Have you heard about Dear John letter? So a Dear John letter, not it's in generations before ours, to be fair, was the letter that a girl would write to break up with someone. It was called a Dear John letter. That was how it was pronounced. So you know John Law was the radio announcer. He uh, actually asked his listeners to send him emails or letters addressed to Dear Ralph because he didn't want to get Dear John letters. <laughs> so everyone, everyone sent a letter saying Dear Ralph, which I just think is brilliant. So there you go. Uh, Sam wants to be called Sam or John wants to be called Sam. I'm not sure. But anyway... Sam says, I'm loving the podcast with yourself and the doc. I've been a small-time ASX investor for a few years and I've been putting aside a small sum of money monthly and watching it ride the roller coaster. I'm an SA and EO subscriber, that's Motley Fool Share Advisor and Motley Fool Extreme Opportunities, and I've been following the rule of investing for the long term and not worrying about the short-term volatile market. Well done, Sam. Sam says, I've been fortunate enough to receive some share payback of a large sum 
I received shares for working at a startup. Well done. And I've used this money to pay off my mortgage and set aside some money to do investing based on a few different strategies. Nice work. Pay off the mortgage. Good job. But I do also have a capital gains tax bill, which is due in 18 months. I want the money to work for me for the 18 months I have it. I understand the risk to payback ratio, but I'm willing to split the money into thirds and take a different amount of risk on each third. What would be your advice on splitting the money and where would you put each portion? Thank you so much, Sam. So, Doc, Sam's done well. Capital gains tax bill hurts a little bit, but uh, but I guess if you make some money out of it, it's worth it. 18 months time, Sam wants to say, where do I put the money? If I split it into three parts, where would I put each part knowing there's a tax bill due in 18 months? You know what I would do? <clears throat> so, uh, you know, as you may you know, there's a government limit to the amount of money that the government protects in each account. Yes. Uh, I would open open as many number of accounts necessary <laughs> to protect my money. Quarter of a million dollars, I think, is the... Yeah, uh, so I think it's a quarter million or 200,000, I forgot yep. whatever it is. Yep. So uh, as many number of accounts I need, <laughs> I would open uh, if I'm in that fortunate position and I just keep it in cash. Yep. Uh, okay, fine. I'd be a little greedy and I'm, you know, if it's 18 months, I might actually put it in a term deposit, which is guaranteed. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd try to find the highest interest term deposit that expires in that you know or mm. match, matures mm. in that time that's what I would do yep. um, the, the reason I would do that is very simple if I put it in anything else that is if I need because I need to because I, I need to pay uh, the tax man mm-hmm. uh, if the tax man is not paid the tax man will be really unhappy <laughs> <laughs> and and the tax man will co- and the tax man will come with a big interest bill <laughs> I, I do not like I you know the paying the tax itself hurts paying interest on the tax would hurt more <laughs> oh, man, that'd, be, that'd be the ultimate insult wouldn't it so so yeah I'd just do that so I'd, I'd term deposit it but I would keep in mind the the amount so that you know it's also guaranteed by the government uh, Put it across different banks. I think you know you can open multiple bank accounts, and you, mm. the government will guarantee your sum. Yep, uh, Sam, I love the question. I think you're crazy to do anything other than do what Doc said. Uh, want to split it in thirds? Put a third in the CBA, a third in Westpac, and a third in NAB, mate. Um, I understand you want to make it work for you. I get a lot of money. I get if things go well, you could make a decent you know sum of cash. Uh, but you know, if this goes badly, if you've got to pay tax and the money's halved in eighteen months' time, you've got to try and find the difference. That's a that's a tough ask, mate. I, I just, I don't, in terms of risk and reward, um, I just don't honestly see why you take the risk. You, you've you've made the money with the share, so you paid off the mortgage, you've done all those good things. To have to remortgage your home to, to find the tax bill for the difference, that would, I mean, you know, like I couldn't even anything worse. So um, Warren Buffett says, you know, the worst thing you do is go back to square one. You're not going to go back to square one because you're in your home, so you kind of, you've nicely ahead, but don't, don't risk it. Just, yeah, again, we can't give personal advice, but I would absolutely be chucking it in the bank, leave it there, Cry every now and again the fact you're not getting a higher interest rate in your cash, but at least you know the money's there to pay the tax man. I just wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't take the risk. All right, Doc, glad we agree on that one. Question from Bondeco. Hey, Scott, love listening to you and the Doc on the podcast on my regular afternoon COVID walk. I assume Bondeco's in Victoria, so hopefully you're staying safe and well. At the risk of prolonging the buy now, pay later discussion, but he will, <laughs> do you think that moving away from people using credit cards will affect debt collection companies such as Credit Corp and Collection House. Hashtag fool on. I like this question, mate. We've got a few. I've bunched up some buy now, pay later just to get them done in a group. This is the first one of of three or four. Um, But I like this angle because I hadn't really thought about it, quite honestly. So debt collection companies are buying debt from utilities, from telephone companies and gas companies. They're buying credit card debt. They're buying whatever debt they can find. They're paying cents in the dollar and hoping they can collect a little bit more than they spend buying the old debts that the banks haven't been able to collect. If people stop using credit cards, 
does it affect Credit Corp and Collection House's ability to actually get enough debt to collect? Oh, this is an interesting question. It's good, isn't it? Uh, this is a brilliant question. I have actually haven't thought about this. Um, I'm inclined to say that long term, they are impacted. To what extent, mm. I really don't know. Um, see, like, I'm of the view that credit cards don't disappear completely. Um, so, so there's that. There's always yep. going to be credit card debt. There's also, uh, you know, and as more and more people use uh, buy now, pay later, mm. there's eventually going to be debt recovery here too. So, that, I mean, there's that. Right, right. Um, but if, I mean, what is not clear to me is the impact this, you know, if you think mm. of buy now, pay later as a payment management system mm. and therefore it allows you to be more disciplined and therefore to be less uh you know it reduces the chance that people go into debt that they can't pay that, that would have a material impact mm. or could have a material impact on buying up so uh, it's really hard to say um it could play out in any number of different ways so you know again it, mm. i actually don't like that industry at all so <laughs> largely because it's again it's there's just so many moving parts um, so many different ways in which that industry is impacted. Mm. So, I don't know. My answer is I don't know, really. Yeah, I don't know either, actually. I would spec. So, here's the thing. I think buy now, pay later is a thin end of a wedge um, that is largely pre-credit card or the, pay- the, the kind of the, the, the payments it you know relieves are the single purchase of a pair of jeans or a book or a pair of shoes or something, right? The amount of money people tend to run up on credit cards, no one's no one's buying $100 debt to collect because you can't buy it cheap enough and work it cheap enough. You're collecting $1,000 debts, $2,000, $5,000 debts. Um, the, the, the simple, to my mind anyway, reality is that people are going to, you know, if you, if you can, the people who, who can survive on buy now, pay later credits people who are otherwise would be able to survive on on savings, right, or cash in the bank, and they probably weren't using credit cards for that. If they were, they weren't getting into trouble and needing to be referred to a debt collection agency. So, I like Doc. I think you know credit cards will still be collected, and I think honestly, the buy now pay loans that kind of replace in air quotes credit cards over long terms, like sort of longer term zip pay loans, for example, they can be referred to credit collection companies or debt collection companies in exactly the same way as credit card debt. And the fact that there's interest charged on credit cards and not on buy now pay later is kind of irrelevant. Um, in the sense that the collection you make at the end still has to be the same collection. Now, you pay a little bit more interest on the way through, of course, in the other case, so it's the, the sheer dollar value might be slightly less. But if you buy a TV with a credit card or you buy a TV using buy now, pay later, if you don't pay either of them back, someone's going to collect that debt or at least try to. Um, so, yeah, I think I think, we'll, I think it will slightly impact these guys. Um, some of it will be replaced. People change their habits a little bit. <laughs> Fingers crossed it actually makes us all as a society a little bit less reliant on debt in terms of you know interest-bearing debt. And maybe we even improve our financial habits a little bit I, I don't hold a whole amount of expectation but a little bit of hope uh, but I, I don't imagine it would help it impact them significantly and and the other thing is by the way the overall growth of debt will continue regardless and so you're kind of in a growth industry unfortunately if you're in debt collection any else on that doc I have nothing to add value stocks market stock market index share market this is Motley Fool Money subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple m Hey, Colin, add some thoughts. He said, I listened to your podcast discussion from Friday about credit cards versus buy now, pay later. And I had some thoughts that neither of you covered, which I thought might be of interest. They are, Colin. Thank you. He says, first, I'm very happy with my NAB credit card and will be keeping it or something with the same characteristics for as long as I can because I make money off it. Let me explain. 
I pay it off every month, so never pay interest, but I do pay the $95 annual fee. However, I earn rewards points from it, which get me around 300 bucks worth of gift cards every year, which I use at Woolies. So on balance, I'm 200 bucks better off every year. He says, can any BNPL offer that? <laughs> he says, secondly, I have a credit card which is very tailored for international travel and overseas purchases. It is a MasterCard and has the global availability of that network. I won't consider giving up that card for a BNPL service until it's, it offers the same global network of ATMs and acceptance by merchants with the same benefits that my card has. He says, no overseas transaction fees, no currency conversion fees, no annual fee. So you can tell Doc that for me, credit cards are far from dead, although Doc's already said he agrees with that, and I can't see myself swapping them for a BNPL service anytime soon. Cheers, Colin. Seems fair, Doc. Do you agree? Yeah, I, I 100% agree. I don't think credit cards are dead. Credit <laughs> cards are here. Mm. I, I mean, the, the funny thing with new mm. ideas, mm. such as BNPL, is that they can coexist with existing ideas yeah, and basically exactly. just expand the market. Yeah. Um, and I think the funny thing, other funny thing to keep in mind is there's such a large transaction volume mm. in in cash mm. that as that moves yeah, to right, di- exactly. digital, yeah. uh, lots of things change. So yeah, I totally, I could, you know, Colin's logic, I have credit cards, I have multiple credit mm. cards, mm. exactly for those reasons. Yep. Um, I've got a Afterpay account, which I use sometimes for buying stuff online and it gets paid off using my Apple Pay. <laughs> Everyone's happy. Everyone's happy. <laughs> I just pay later. And, you know, and it goes through Apple Pay. So it's not as if, nice. like, you know. Nice. In fact, I can use it at places that don't take Apple Pay. It's like my indirect oh, way of making Apple Pay work. You know, it's I use PayPal for the same reason with my MX card. There's businesses that will take Visa, MasterCard, or PayPal. Uh. So we use PayPal and use my MX card on PayPal. That's yeah. the same job. So yeah. there's like everybody yep. wins in exactly. this. So, um, so I, yeah, I, you yep. know, yep. again, I think he's absolutely on to something. I agree. Colin, the only. The only um, so I, I don't expect you to give up your credit card. The only thing I'm going to say differently is you are not the average consumer, right? If honestly, if everyone did what you did, credit cards wouldn't exist because uh, you simply, you know, you're costing your credit card company money, which is fine. And I'm, I'm more than happy for people to cost banks money. I have no issue with that whatsoever. The problem is if enough people change their habits, the card itself is going to go away, mate. Or people are going to offer that. If if the only people left using credit cards are those who actually cost the banks money. They're going to stop offering up. They're going to jam up the annual fee, or they're going to take away the rewards or something. So you are you are the exception to the rule, which is great. And congratulations, well done, because most people don't. They pay an absolute fortune in interest, which is a debacle, but it is what it is. Um, but that's the reality, right? So I think your your purchases won't change, your behaviour won't change. But if other people's behaviours do change, the industry itself will be impacted. And I do think um, I agree with Doc. By the way alongside is probably the most likely solution. But I do think it will absolutely take some volume away from credit cards. Um, maybe not yours and completely fine, mate. Um, but someone's because it makes more sense to, you know, makes sense to, to pay, you'd have to pay them than pay interest if that's your choice. If your choice is, well, if I buy the pair of jeans, I'm not going to pay them off this month. I'm going to hold it for three months anyway and I'll pay the interest on the credit card or I get it for free or, you know, interest free using Afterpay. Some people will change their behavior. I think that's that's definitely going to happen. I agree with the doctor. It won't be. It's not. It's not a, it's not a zero sum game, right? This is a. This is a, an extra game. And when you say cash, doc, it's cash, but it's also just straight FPOS, right? So if I'm using literal cash in the ATM or using you know, credit or de- uh, debit or savings, sorry, check or savings, um, then I can simply transfer that to Afterpay and just pay in four installments rather than upfront. So completely agree. Uh, speaking of BNPL, I think this is the second last one. Mm-hmm. Um, you reckon? You reckon? Uh, why do you think of so many people asking BNPL questions, Doc? Does that, does that give you some pause about the industry, about the share prices, about... I mean, I said, like I said, I said last week, when everyone's asking questions about the same industry, the, the contrarian in me says, 
oh, be careful. Everyone's on this. Everyone's either on the boat or thinking about it or maybe thinking about buying shares or, you know, when everyone's thinking the same way, a bit like your kind of, you know, most hated stock we talked about on Friday, um, it, it does strike me a little bit as uh, I, I, the little, a little, little voice in the back of my head says, hey, everyone, everyone's on this trade already. Just be a little bit careful. Yeah, I think it's a bit of a worry. I mean, like, I mean, the other way to think about this, there are like what, like maybe ten BNPL companies now, oh, and then there Just are those. Australia. <laughs> well, and and, and I, I mean, Australia is the BNPL company. I know. <laughs> Right, like I yes. mean, they don't list anywhere else. They just Correct. come here and list, Correct. right? Yes. So I mean, we have the BNPL Capital, <laughs> uh, which is a good thing for the ASX. I, I mean, guess. all these companies listing the ASX is making some money off yeah. it. Yeah. Um, but it does, yeah, it does give me pause. I mean, you have companies which are BNPL, then mm. you have companies which are not BNPL trying to become BNPL, <laughs> changing their names, <laughs> exactly. right? Which so group we're looking at you. Oh, well, the ho hums yes. of this world, right? <laughs> I know. Um, so. <laughs> So it, yeah, it does give me a pause. Cool, but yeah, I just like want to just be careful. I'm not, I'm not saying yeah. they, I'm not saying they can't make money. I'm not saying the share price are even uh, as a group, let alone individual companies, are overvalued. There's going to be winners and losers, or maybe there's winners and losers. I just want this just to be just a little bit thoughtful about. I think if so. everyone if everyone's running down a particular road, just be careful. You're not you know you, you want to be you want to be just making sure you're not overpaying. Yeah, so it's not you know like it's something like an afterpay two years ago. Mm. Would have a very contrarian move, <laughs> exactly. Right, you know. Yeah. Uh, something like after pay now Tenfold is no ago, longer yeah. no longer a contrarian move in Correct. that sense, right? Because you know every, it's really front and center. Yeah. But after pay is now in the ASX fifty, I think. In the fifty is it really? Wow. After pay is pretty big, right? No, it's, it's, right. it's, yeah. it's, a, it's a pretty big company. Yeah, like I mean, if you look, think of the market capitalization. Yep. So. Yep. Yeah, I think there's something to that. All right. Here's Rob's question. I was wondering what your thoughts were on the BNPL industry as it moves towards Christmas. Obviously, millennials still think products like Afghan Zip are cool to do their shopping with. Additionally, COVID means many stores will have to resort to online. And with many out of work, the shortage of money may mean these BNPL mobs get a fair bit of business coming their way. What do you guys think? Oh, I Again, like I mean, I think BNPL volume goes up. Yep. That I think is, is yeah, right, given... Right, right. Because again, like you know, as, as people have cre- one credit card, two credit cards, three credit cards, so what does what shows people the average number of credit cards an American has? I don't have the statistics for Australia. Um, I got this from an Experian um, report. It, the average number. I'm scared. Go on, tell me. It's four. Oh. Four credit cards. That's right? average, right? So someone's got one. Someone's got seven. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, like in, in Australian oh. consumption patterns yeah, are very yeah. similar to American consumption yes. patterns, right? So maybe our average mm. is like three or four or something like that, right? Wow. So what is stopping people from having four BNPLs? Totally, yeah. There's no, I mean, in fact, there's no reason not to. Well, again, to your point, why wouldn't you use it? I mean, there's other, yeah. other than the only thing, I, the only reason I could think of not using BNPL would be just keeping track of my purchases to kind of work out how much they're taking out of my account every week. If I had a savings account with some cash in it, yeah, and I had Zip and Afterpay and Kleiner and Hum and what else is out there? Sezzle and split it and open pay and lay by. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I guess if they had if you had seven of them and you kind of you couldn't work out, you know, over the last four weeks I bought some jeans, a pair of shoes. Yeah. At some point you've got to try and keep this mental accounting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. open pay is different though. Open pay I think open pay is different. Is I think it's open pay is different. Open pay is is not I think it's not if I, I just want to make sure that I'm not um, <laughs> that's all right um, I, I didn't mean to destroy the conversation sorry mate just it was more more that sense of like why wouldn't you if, you know rather than using your cash now why not let the banks take it out of you in three or four weeks yeah yeah I, I think open pay is is a, is a different cool. is open pay is, sorry is a company that does buy now pay later but it's not 
consumer targeted as okay. as if, unless I'm mistaken with no, that's right, that's right. my bad so volume goes up what goes up volume goes up yeah I think that's a given like volume is going to go up how much I don't know but it's going to yeah. go up and Rob I, I would say to that point Matt I'm, I, you know, I don't think anyone disagrees with that the, the what I would just think about is the disconnect between frankly Doc and I never look three months out and buy stocks based on that basis so the volume got by Christmas yes does that make Afterpay more or less attractive? No, <laughs> because we've got our views on what the business might look like in three, five, and seven years, and that's going to be far more valuable and important to our investment theses than what happens at, at Christmas time. So, um, uh, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't buy or not buy shares based on what I thought would happen at Christmas. I guess is my answer. So just be, just be a little bit careful about, you know, trying to extrapolate what BMP volumes might look like. There's so much sentiment in these stocks right now. Not even necessarily wrongly. Just it's going to be sentiment that drives the share price of these things for the next six months, regardless of what happens at Christmas, is my view. I think I 100% agreed. <laughs> Last one from Travis, mate. He says, hi, guys. Question for the podcast. He says, hi, Scott and Doc. Thanks for your great insights. You're welcome, Travis. I'm a member of both your services and a few US as well. Thanks for the help with my market-beating portfolio. Travis, they are the magic words, mate. We're glad you've been able to be successful using our services because that's what we're here for. Is I've got a question. Following it from last week when you were discussing the effect on the banks... What effect might companies like Afterpay have on the companies such as Visa and MasterCard? Will these companies potentially be able to use their network infrastructure to provide services to BNPL? Thanks very much, Travis. Now, are you a MasterCard shareholder? Mm-hmm. You are. I thought you were. Um, I'm not a, a, a shareholder either. Your thoughts on are they frenemies? Are they enemies? Are they friends? Are they do they coexist? Do they fight each other? How do how do buy now pay later and credit card companies, credit card networks most specifically, how do they kind of coexist in the future? Yeah, so I I think these two, I think, coexist uh, nicely, right? So buy now, pay later basically still needs somebody's network to make Mm -hmm. the money flow. The money flow uh, between the FPOS terminals or, you know, whatever model of payment you're using basically has to flow through some network. So that's where the MasterCards of the world and the visas Mm -hmm. of the world I mean, those two are like phenomenal businesses because, I mean, those are basically, that's basically like Coles and Woolworths, but at a global scale, mm. <laughs> right? So so that those two are phenomenal businesses yeah, and yeah. right in the tailwind that's of dig- example, dig- yeah. digitization, yeah. right? Yeah. I think the only thing I have here is the impact, somewhere like PayPal, mm. we just introduced uh, Buy Now, Pay Later, can have mm. on the long term because one of the unique advantages that PayPal has, yep. PayPal has got merchant accounts yep. and PayPal has got user accounts. Right, okay. Right. Now, all of a sudden, you yeah. can transfer money between those two accounts bypassing the network. Yeah, right, of course. So, so that is, an, I mean, yeah, again, yeah. the network, I mean, PayPal's network still pales in comparison to, yeah. uh, like, I mean, you know, it's got, got 300 million yeah. users, but it's got only yeah. maybe, you know, maybe what, 100 million or 50 million merchants, mostly in the US. So I, 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 no, don't quote me on the numbers, but somewhere mm-hmm. in that order. So I think that's the effect. Yeah. But otherwise, I think you know the supremacy of these uh, Visa MasterCards mm. is is hard to challenge. So they, you know, they, I think they can coexist. Do, does Visa and MasterCard ever power buy now, pay later? Using the networks? Well, I mean... I mean the, you imagine, so, right? Like, you think about like a, you can have an ANZ Visa card. Yeah. Could you have an Afterpay Visa card? I mean, as, as much as that feels like a, an oxymoron, I guess at some point to the question, it wouldn't be unreasonable to think you could actually have 
Afterpay can't use another visa network or vice versa, right? Like it's possible in some way, shape, or form. Well, like I mean, so I have so Amex uh, was pushing this to me. Mm. Um, so Amex was advertising to me that you know I could basically choose uh, to pay off my installments over uh, pay off my balance mm. Mm. instead of paying it off all at one go. Yeah, paid on installments and they would not charge any interest. Yep. but they would charge a small fee. But that yeah, seems right, to be right, reverse right. model. Of yep. what the, the the buy now pay later. I mean, in in theory, mm. and this, I mean, Mastercard has a deal mm. that allows it to, I guess, enable buy now pay later for other people, right. uh, or has you know. So they could. Mm. I don't mm. like. I mean, for for my, if I am Mastercard, yep. I just sit back and relax and say, well, as long <laughs> as. People are going to flow if uh, money via Afterpay or via NAB's credit card or Commonwealth Bank's credit mm. card. Well, do I really care? Yeah, right. I don't care. Yeah. So whatever yeah, it flows. Yeah, you know, who, the, who the kind of I, I still make the bankers, money. Do you? Yeah, that's so right. they really have no incentive to yeah. disrupt the status quo unless somebody True. says I'm going to that's bypass true. your network altogether. Which is so what PayPal's trying to do. Which is maybe, well, I mean, they still need a network, right, for the cases where they don't have the interconnects, right? Yeah. So so that I think that's the interesting thing. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I'm not sure. Nice, mate. Our last one on buy now pay later. Cameron just has a comment rather than a, rather rather than a point. It's a good one. Um, there's been a couple of banks, uh, NAB and CBA, I think it is, have launched interest free credit cards, uh, and they are interest free credit cards, absolutely. Uh, but as Cameron says, uh, so he says, "Hey Scott and Doc, long time listener and advocate, and Motley Fool Gold Pass member. Thanks, Cameron. I love the show. Have got another listener on board to start his journey this week too. Well done. Thank you, Cameron." Here's the bank's answer to BNPL, and he shares a link. He says, can you share on the pod? This is not a free product. He's right. It's interest-free. It's not a free product. The monthly fee equates to an annual 14% fee on a $1,000 limit. There are much better deals out there, full on. And he's dead right, mate. Just because something's interest-free doesn't make it free. I've got to say, I I kick myself a lot these days. I make a lot of mistakes, mate. One of the mistakes I made on Afterpay was I looked at their very early presentations and their entire I vividly remember talking about this at the time. I was too stupid to act on it. The you know, the the the, the picture was perfect, right? They would go to a retailer and say, without afterpay, a retailer did this. When they had afterpay, sales went up 30%, and it'll cost you a couple of percent to do it. Every retailer is gonna say, sure, I'll take that deal. And the beauty of it is it doesn't cost the customers in the, the literal consumer a cent. Because the retailer is basically saying, I will pay a fee to you to bring me more business. And it was just a perfect model. And that's, I think, to my mind, where it is superior as a consumer proposition to any of these products you've got to pay for, whether it's a monthly fee or an interest rate. It's literally free because they're finding a different person to pay. And the person who pays is the one who gets the extra business by offering after pay in the first place. Now, I'm not sure it's a... Uh, there's some speed bumps down the road in terms of you know, once you stop getting year-on-year growth and you're still paying a fee, it goes from a sales driver to a cost and that gets messy very quickly in people's minds. The, the retailers in particular start to think, well, hang on, I'm paying this X percent to afterpay and it was fine in the first year because I got growth. Now I'm not getting any growth. I'm still paying this bloody fee. Um, so at some point it gets annoying and that's why we see people already not taking Amex, for example, because the fee's too high or preferring cash. Um, afterpay may well strike that problem, but it was just a beautiful, beautiful model where they really put the value prop in the right spot, which is... We're not going to ask the consumer to pay for the convenience of the card. We're going to ask the retailer who gets the benefit out of it to pay to give the consumer a benefit to shop in their stores. And that was just a super smart approach. Any thoughts on that? I have nothing to add. Cool. Let's move off by now, pay later, shall we? Um, nailed it. Here we go from Craig. I like this one too, mate. Hi, Scott. You two investment personalities 
host by far my favorite investment podcast. Actually, I'm gonna I'm gonna stop there because um I have to make sure I'm just trying to find the message I got because it was probably about our, our, his favorites, which I appreciated. Yeah, I didn't copy it in. I uh, we had a question last week, and the, the comment started by saying that the podcast guests were great, but the OGs were the best. And I asked somewhat quizzically what OGs were, and I think we skipped over it and kept moving. I got a message and I can't, I have to find out who it was. So thank you, you know who you were to send me the message saying, explaining my lack of ability here. Turns out OGs are original gangsters. So we're the original gangsters. <laughs> Makes me feel incredibly old, mate, that I'm not so so close up on the kids, the cool kids these days, the things that we're supposed to know. <laughs> Apparently the OGs are the original gangsters. So we are the original gangsters. I'm happy to, I'm happy to run with that label. Um, I'm just embarrassed. I didn't know what that was at the time. So there you go. Just to, just for my own, um, for my own, my own sins. I didn't know that one, but just a bit of fun. So there you go. We are, the, we are the OGs, <laughs> if nothing else. You and I, are the original gangsters. Craig says we're also his two a favorite. Uh, sorry, we host his favorite investment podcast. However, he says I was feeling a bit promiscuous and listened to a US investment forecast, a investment podcast called The Pomp, as they had a story on Snowflake. What I found intriguing was they also spoke rather glowingly about a private Aussie company called Canva, C-A-N-V-A. I have been watching the news on Canva over the last couple of years as I love being patriotic and investing in Aussie companies taking on the world and winning. Question for the podcast. You two investment personalities would have your ears to the ground. Do you know any Aussie private companies you would be excited about if they decided to do an IPO? Full on. P.S. <laughs> I have told my wife, I think you are Frillneck on The Masked Singer. Do you watch The Masked Singer? No idea. Here's the thing. If I was Frillneck, I couldn't say. So maybe I am. <laughs> maybe I'm not. <laughs> I'll never know, will we? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I love that you think I'm Frillneck on The Masked Singer, Craig. That's brilliant. Maybe I am, as I said. Let's find out. Um, all right, Doc. Any Aussie private companies you're kind of familiar with, got your eye on, hoping might come public at some point, would be interested when they do? Um, Not one that like immediately, like, you know, most of these companies um, um, that are that are private, that go public, they're the smaller ones, right? Um, mm. So you not really, you know, there, there would not be companies, you know, that our consumers are familiar mm. with and things like that. Mm. So mm. I don't have any specific companies that I, Think I know that those ones that list, mm. but no, I don't have any specific ones. Enough Canvas one that we have heard a number of times. Mm. It's mm. it's talked up. I guess the one okay, there's one I can think of mm. that's interesting. Um, uh, we use at the full. We use them for uh, for the survey questions. Mm-hmm. Um, I forget the name now. Survey Monkey. Not survey. Is this not Survey Monkey? The the company out of Melbourne that does our. Oh yeah, um, you know how we are feeling at the full yeah, and stuff yeah, like that. So um, I, I, the name just escapes me. <laughs> me too. Um, oh, God, that's actually pretty. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's got a global. That's a company with a global reach that is used by a large number of companies. But we cannot remember the name because again, it's not a consumer-facing company. Isn't it? I, it is. Yeah. It is funny. Uh, but so a name. Yes, we search my inbox for the yeah uh, <laughs> for the surveys. Um. Oh man. Yeah. Can't even find it. Anyway, oh, here we go. 
inclusion survey we did recently. If I click on the link, maybe it'll give me the. Uh, maybe it'll take you there. Or maybe you, keep, you keep you keep talking. Yeah, so maybe, you, you dance. So, I'll sing while we look. Yeah. At this. Um, <laughs> or maybe I'll just do a Not search on Bing. Not even there. Um, <laughs> oh no, on Bing, mate. Yeah, Nothing much there. Uh, well, so okay, fine. I'm doing it on Google. Um, <laughs> was it? Was it survey? Radio, isn't it? Survey company. Oh god, I can see the logo. Company. Isn't that funny? Melbourne based. <laughs> This is not going to work. Let, let's let's come back, mate. Let's come back. Yeah, we'll come back to this. But yeah, that that would be an interesting company. Yeah. Um, yeah, but other than that, I can't think of one that's large enough that is still private. I think that's. Fa- I've got to say, like you know, the lessons of the world go overseas when they list. Um, I did a quick search actually while you were talking for the top Australian private companies, and the list is. I mean, we've got some great big successful companies, right? But also the 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 size and scale and the style, uh, you know. I know you'll say this is you know a, a representation of our kind of old economy, and it kind of is true. Visi Packaging, the first one, Hancock Prospecting is the second, CVH Group, Meriton, HCF, the health insurer, Hutchies, Linfox, Tays Australia, PwC, Ausgrid, the electricity mob, Deloitte, Tushimatsu, St Vincent's Health. Um, none of those groups are particularly, obviously. Um, PwC yeah. is not Australian, is it? Or PwC it Australia? Be, be the PwC Australia business, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, interestingly enough, one of the group, Cotton On Group, the retailer, mm. is in the top twenty. Uh, PFD Food Services was worth two billion dollars, but Woolworths has just bought that one. So um, it is it is interesting the way that kind of that kind of rolls out, right, and how that all kind of works. So yeah, I can't I can't particularly think of one either, mate. I've got to say, disappointingly for everybody, um, just not something that uh, that yeah. yeah. It's interesting too. So, look, a related question. Um, seems to me that many, well, we're talking about Snowflake, many companies are waiting much, much longer to go public. Mm-hmm. Um, what does that mean for Australia? We're a smaller market, right? Like, it's it's one of those things, you know, we're kind of, I don't know. What do you make of that? Is it is it a case of, um, uh, you know, Australia can be seen to either list overseas or be bought out by bigger players because they don't get so big enough. Yeah, in a, in a in a in a large global world, to list on their own accord. Yeah, so like I mean, you know, I I, I think it's so I think I would not blame it on on size. I think okay. this is a question of so if we can do we can if we can we have a number of tech companies that are relatively small mm. on a global scale, but mm. they list on the ASX here, which you know maybe a more niche niche in fashion. Mm. Um, here's the thing, right? If if a zero can come from New Zealand. Mm. Uh, then we should be able to produce many more zeros here in yeah, Australia, right? Um, and then, comparatively true, true. speaking, there's a lot of tech companies that come out of Israel, mm. right? Mm. Uh, that's a strife-torn part of the world, mm. and, and a, you know, a relatively small company as well, a country as well, right? Mm. So mm. I think it's a question of investment okay. and investment focus. I think we are too focused on digging the ground <laughs> and building uh, real estate. Uh, houses and things yep, like that. Yep, yep. So I think our focus is there, which is basically making us, you know, in in the form of um, producing technology, mm. putting us behind. Right? That's mm, not mm, really mm. a nice thing. Um, at the same time, I mean, we've had more pharma companies, for example, come up. So it's it's a little bit of of the culture, a little bit of the ecosystem mm. around it um, that has an impact. I, I think that is the answer. It's not really a, mm. a and then building the ecosystem and and growing it. Mm. So. I think that is is the reason, you know. Yeah, but interesting. I think yeah. I, I don't. I can't think of any good ones. I, Canvas interesting. I um, it's doing a great job, and I, I got to say, I'm interested to see if it does list and when it lists, how well it'll do. So I'm certainly going to keep my eye on that one. I'm not. 
yeah, price obviously matters at, at some level, so not sure how to list, but certainly doing a wonderful job. And a, a, a female-run company, uh, impressive to see, does a really good someone from memory, I can't remember her name, um, does a really, really good job. So also looking forward to seeing it. And again, maybe I am or maybe I'm not, frill neck on the must singer. Let's find out. Question from Mick. This one's for you, Doc. Mm-hmm. Mick says, hi, Scott. Any chance you can ask the doc a question for me the next, on the next podcast? Now, Mick, as you should know by now, if you only want to ask Doc a question, it's not going to get past the gatekeeper, mate, because um, I'm all about me and not about Doc. And, you know, if you don't ask me a question, then uh, bad luck. So, Mick, I'm not going to ask you a question. Bad luck. No, I'm kidding. Well, can, I'm can, kidding. can I interject? Because <laughs> I've, I've got the name of that company that we're talking oh, about. Oh, yes. What is it? Culture Amp. Hey, there we go. Culture Amp. Well done. <laughs> all right. Thank you. I wasn't now even close on. to that. I was not even close to that. All right. I will ask Mick's question. Uh, <laughs> this is for you, though, mate. I heard Doc say he likes Big Tin Can. But I wanted to know if they are comparable to the US company Salesforce. If so, do they have the same growth runway or are they in a totally different league? Cheers, Mick. Now, you have talked about Salesforce already this week, mate. So um, hopefully this is our, have, have some sense of what it is and what it does. But compare and contrast Big Tin Can and Salesforce for us. Okay. So I would not even compare and not even contrast <laughs> because you're comparing uh, the grandfather of SaaS <laughs> with a really small company. They're, they're completely different. But beasts. I guess the question for, for Mick though is Mick seeing it and saying, well, hang on, if, if Big Tin Can has something of the of the potential of Salesforce, yeah, he's not saying they're the same kind of value or size or even even you know kind of quality or, or results thus far, but he's saying, well, hang on, if Big Tin Can is like a little junior Salesforce, maybe this is the time to be buying it. Yeah, so like, you know, I, I don't want to send people on that path. So like, okay. I really like Big Ten Can. Yep. Uh, I think it's executing really well. What what I also like to point out, that it's a small company with a, in an area that has, for its size, mm. relatively large TAM, mm. right? Can it be a Salesforce? I don't think so, right? Okay. Very few companies are going to be Salesforce. Salesforce yeah, like right. is, is, you know, mm. like I said, $200 billion yeah. company. Those those sort of things are rare, yeah. right? Um so I think I would not even compare. Okay. I, would, I, would, I would think of if if I think of sales when I think of Salesforce and I think of Big Tin Can, I think of them as you know Salesforce to me is like a core holding mm-hmm. and which is going to grow relatively slowly, but it's not going to. It's going to be a market beater, but it's not going to like you know, um, you know, it's going to give you like Apple like returns. Maybe it's, it's mm-hmm. sort of what you want to think about it. It's like mm-hmm. this nice big company to have, which is yeah. going to. Yeah. You know, this is a small company, which is going to be very volatile, which is probably going to give you much higher return for that higher risk that you're taking. Mm, mm. It is in the same area of sales, but yeah. you know, it is not a CRM software company, right? What yeah, they're enabling yeah. is they, they basically have technology that enables mm. sales mm. using mobile devices and mo- software and mobile devices. Mm. They actually are a partner of Salesforce mm. because they plug into the various softwares that you know uh, Salesforce sells, so you can think mm. of this as yeah, technology right. that plugs in. So they yeah, yeah, yeah. they they partner with Salesforce and yep. they sell with them their app yeah. is available via the Salesforce apps yeah. uh, app place and things like that. And that's important, so, right? So Salesforce is was well, started as a product, but became a platform super fast. Yeah. Big Tcan is not likely to ever get to that point. So from that perspective, it would be a mistake to look at the two and assume that the paths. I mean, in, in some version of the future, Big Ten Can's a platform company, but it's yeah. very, very unlikely, right? Yeah, like, yeah, like, I mean, again, it's, it's the, the thing is that they are, like, I mean, you know, it's, it's just, it's like, compa- mm-hmm. it's like mm-hmm. comparing CSL with a 
small biotech startup. <laughs> right. It's just yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. an unfair comparison. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're just not going to win. Yeah, it's yeah, it's yeah. like you know. One but, is this. Thing, but everyone's looking for the next something, right? Everyone's looking for the next Apple, the next Amazon, the next Tesla, the next Berkshire Hathaway. I mean, it makes some sense from a heuristic perspective to try and look for things that share the same attributes in the hope that, you know, like we all do, we, we, we have our own, you know, we, we've seen successes in the past. Like if I can find a company that has the same attributes as Salesforce, are we doing well? If I can find the next Zero, or I bought Zero because it was kind of like Salesforce, I mean, those those ideas make some sense, at least in the, in the way the question is being asked, right? Yeah, so I think I have a couple of different thoughts on that. So sure. one, if you're looking for the next Apple, mm-hmm. buy Apple. <laughs> right? How did this become about Apple? It was my stupid fault. Well, it, really? but it's like that. You know, if you want to buy the next something, most likely the next Salesforce is Salesforce. Right? Until they self-destruct, right, right, right. that's what it is. So That's you, a good point, though. So to the point where Mix are looking for asking us big tech and Salesforce, is your recommendation to buy Salesforce instead? No. So I think that my recommendation really is that if you are putting those two side by side, yeah. you have to really ask what it's, is it, are you thinking, because they're not the same thing. Yeah, you, they're right. not comparable. Yeah, that's the yeah. So that's the yeah. problem, right? Yeah. The problem is that they're not comparable. So the right comp- question, but the answer is no. <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, you know, like, you know, should I buy Salesforce or should I buy a big tin can? Well, it depends, right? Yeah, it right. depends on what you're trying to do yeah. uh, is really the answer. Yeah, but, yeah. but you know, but I would never say that you should think that big tin can is going to become Salesforce or is mm. going to become as mm. big as Salesforce yeah. because it doesn't have to, is, yeah. is my yeah. point. Makes sense. Right. Yeah, good one. I like that one very much, mate. All right, let's move on to the next question. Probably our last one, I think, from Ben. This is really interesting, mate. I like this I like this thinking because it's a – we're not top-down guys, but here's, here's what Ben says. Hi, guys. I'm a massive fan of your podcast. Thank you, Ben. I've just been doing some analysis on the PE ratio of the All Ords, and August's result has really spooked me. A PE of 39.84, let's call it 40 among friends, is the highest I've ever seen. Well, I understand this is due to lower dividend and earning yields. Wouldn't the law of averages suggest this PE ratio is going to normalize over the coming months or years? If I'm correct, there's only two ways a PE ratio can decline, either the decline in stock prices or an increase in company earnings. While I'm hopeful the company earnings will rise, forecasts like Qantas and other companies suggest this may not necessarily happen in the near future. Does this imply we're in a big bubble at the moment, suggesting we should sell up? Would love to hear back from you. Hashtag... Get TikTok on Doc, hashtag TikTok. <laughs> Which actually might be new. For my new I have lots of new favorite uh, hashtags. Hashtag TikTok uh, as opposed to TikTok. I think maybe my new favorite. <laughs> I like that. There's your new social platform idea, mate. When you've, in your, in your, in your downtime, your evenings and weekends, you should start a, to- a social network called TikTok. I'll just call it TikTok. Well, you could do that too. That could work. Yeah, TikTok. I like TikTok. 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 We sound like two chickens now. All right. So, interesting question, mate. Yes. ASX All Lords, PE 40. Yeah. Does that mean we're in a bubble? Well, okay. I'll explain that. That's a really easy one, actually, to think it's... Okay. So, this is one that I shouldn't say easy, but I have an explanation for what it is. So, a lot of companies... uh, So, this PE, I'm assuming, is trailing PE. I would assume so, right? too. So if it's trailing PE, then what we're looking at is really, or for the index, we're looking at mm. earnings that have been completely decimated because of COVID. Yes. Right? There are a lot of companies <laughs> with negative earnings, zero earnings, you know, minuscule earnings. So that's going to push up the PE. So this PE is not really a normal PE. Uh, well, it's it's a PE, but it's not a normal PE. Uh, and it's impacted by pandemics. So uh, I think we can't really tell much. The the closest proxy for a sense of where the market is relative to where it has been in the history might be to look at the 2021 
estimated PE is probably yeah. Yeah. you know where you get you know and that depends on of course what the estimates are and things yeah. like that yeah. Yeah. And maybe the 2021 uh p gives you a sense of where the market is but not this one yeah. um yeah so right now we're a little bit of a this you know funky place where pe's and all i mean no company's trading on last year's p i mean no company ever trades on last year's p but last year's, <laughs> yeah, exactly. last year's p yeah. really in this time really tells us nothing yeah, yeah right yeah. so so you know it's about an opportunity and and a, and a problem Yep. I like this question. I think it's a really smart thing to think about. I got to say, I agree with you, Docolo. I go further out than next year. You know, I, I've said before, I if you're going to buy stocks, you should only ever, in my view, as a, as a long-term investor, there's, I guess, other ways to do it, but I only ever buy stocks based on their long-term earnings potential. And that's not this year. It's not next year. It's not last year. It is long-term. If you're buying for... You know, basis of one year's earnings, well, good luck trying to work out what that might be, as we certainly found out this year with the GFC. Also, I keep saying GFC. That's uh, hard-coded in my brain, mate. Um, with, with COVID, I mean, the, the reality is we got it wrong. How, who knows how long the recovery is going to take? No one knows. But if I believe companies are going to learn meaningfully more in two, three, five, or seven years' time, trying to buy or sell based on this year's PE, I think, is, is probably a mistake. So um, I love the question. I think it's a smart way to think about it. But I would think, as you say, Doc, into the future, I would just expand your version of the future to go out more than just the 12 months' time and say in three or five years' time, if a company's going to be earning more, then you want, to be, you want to be buying that business firstly if you get a decent price. And so, yep, PE of 40 looks stupidly high, and it is. But I think the market largely correctly and frankly unusually but, but correctly is saying, well, hang on, we know this is temporary. We know this is transitory. As and when it recovers, you know, earnings will go back to some degree of normalcy and, by the way, hopefully grow from that point. So uh, the other thing I would say is, you and I both said before, Doc, A, we don't love the ASX ETF index generally, sorry, the ASX index ETF generally because of the abundance of the banks and to some degree, I, if I have some sympathy with the question, it actually is that. I think, you know, bank earnings will probably recover more slowly. And so, Ben, I, I you know, part of me actually does think I'd be, I'd be a little bit mindful of the all odds, not because we're in a bubble per se, um, at least not at a stock picking level, but an ETF level, I've I love ETFs. Like I love low cost diversification. I can't ever recommend anyone buy an ASX 200 ETF because I just don't love the constituents and given the given the weightings. So I kind of agree. For the rest of the market, though, I wouldn't freak out about the high PE. I think it's probably something you can look straight through. Is that fair, Doc? Oh, I think so. That makes sense. Nice. Um, I'm going to ask you one more question because we've got a fun hashtag. G'day, Scott and Doc. Thanks for answering my last question. Since then, I have signed up for Extreme Opportunities. Bastard. He says, don't worry, Scott. Share advisor is next on the list. Yeah, 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 yeah. They all say that, Doc. They all say that. David, help me out. On a recent EO buy recommendation, I noticed the recommended price was higher in the day of recommendation. It got me thinking, what factors do you guys use to work out a fair price to pay for a company at a certain point in time? I usually look for companies that are innovative and have a lot of growth potential to invest in, but it's harder to know what a fair price is. Keep doing what you're doing. Full on. Hashtag get tick on Get Doc on TikTok. Hashtag let's see that buy, hold, sell dance. Cheers, David. Now, Doc, we've talked in the past about the fact that you often give price limit guidance to basically control the pop rather than rather than as an indication of actual value. Mm-hmm. But David's question is still a fair one. Putting that aside for a second, how do you even decide that the price in general is worth paying for a high potential growth company where the the real money is going to be coming years down the track? Yeah, so you you know you look at what the potential growth of the company is going to be over the long term. You know how much you know how big the market is, how it is growing, how it's cornering you know its share in that market, and then you sort of try to guess um, you know based on that what the you know the future cash flows are going to look like, and that mm. gives you a sense of what the value 
would be in the future you know and if the if you have a sense of what the value would be in the future you can then sort of you know come to an estimate of mm. uh, what should be the range that you should in range of prices you should pay now mm. now none of this is perfect because it can be wrong for any number of reasons the estimates mm. could be wrong <clears throat> the assumptions could be wrong um, so i mean when kevin and i pick stocks we by definition assume that we're mm. going to be wrong a lot yeah right um <laughs> which is actually really important like we shouldn't gloss over that that's that's a really really vital part of your process yeah and it's it's you know it's not just, it's not just humility it's not just kind of you know no it's, yeah. it's literally saying we will do this and we will be wrong sometimes yeah so it's the acceptance of the fact that you know so this is really i call adventure style investing where mm. you're gonna you're gonna swing at stuff that's not gonna work out mm. that is okay but you can't let the fact that you're going to swing at stuff that's not going to work out stop you from swinging because then you're not going to swing at stuff mm. that's going to work out mm. right so it's it's that balance of you know knowing that you know yes you don't swing at everything because mm. then you 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 know yeah. you'd be in trouble but you you want to be you want your process to work and you want to apply that sort of you know the uniform process you know mm. with changes for the companies across all these different things that you know you, we are looking at so mm. so that's that we, we never know exactly what the fair no you know if somebody said that no no exactly what the fair value of a company is i would i would challenge that that is only possible for extremely rare number of companies to mm. compute the exact value that the company yeah. should be right yeah. that would probably work for like you know monopoly companies <laughs> and things like that even then yeah. you know wow, how do you factor in mm. um uh, government controlled monopoly mm -hmm. um, you know removals for example mm. right mm. so so that's that's the process here so then the price guides we give is really about pop management it's yeah. really about trying to get it's trying to stop people from you know running over each other and trying to just push <laughs> up the price because that doesn't help anyone yeah. um so you know we are all about trying to buy in a disciplined fashion mm. and and that's why we give limit prices so never i would never say that limit price is actually um the fair value mm. um yeah yes. yeah yeah, yeah. Very cool. Hopefully that helps. Uh, it's a it's a really tough pr price is always tough, right? The right price to buy. It's probably is it the toughest part of our job? I think it probably is. The quality stuff is subjective, but somehow easier to get kind of roughly right. Try and work out the price of something that that really is going to hit its straps in three or five or seven years time. Um, I mean, trying to find, again using a simple example, Amazon's probably the easiest one. Tesla's probably the other one. Big, high profile, fast growing companies that for years didn't make any money. Trying to work out what the future might look like and how much to pay. Was just it was always tough, right? And, and those are two successful companies. I mean, plenty that have been the same and, and went the other way. Um, it's, it's it's always tough. Directionally, easier to understand the businesses than it is to sort of say, you know, is for Amazon when was it worth paying hundred, five hundred, a thousand dollars? Well, at different times in the past, they've been worth paying harder at the time to do that. Yeah, uh, like I mean, I, I think the main realization is for me at least is you want to buy companies that meet certain criteria certain conditions mm, mm. certain attributes mm. whatever those attributes you're looking at mm. and you want to buy them before other people start appreciating those yeah. those yeah. attributes right i mean you know that's really and it, so that's really about the life cycle of companies you want to buy them early mm. before people discover them you want to hold them to maturity and, and you yeah. want to probably get out before they're dying yeah. right uh, and that's really a long and you know you'll be wrong sometimes and you're going to be wrong yeah. sometimes you're going to just yeah. catch something that's never going to actually bloom yeah and yeah. and that is going to be 
also okay we've got we've got losers in our scorecards mm-hmm. that you know we're down like 80, uh, we have been down and we've sold at 80% loss yeah. um and that happens yeah and it's going to happen excuse me yawn mm. <laughs> i must make it time to finish the podcast yeah, that, that, that John was because I woke up at three o'clock to check what's going on with, uh, with Snowflake. Snowflake. So uh, I was that excited and interested in seeing what's going on with Snowflake. So, If you like that sort of passion, make sure you join Doc at Motley Fool Extreme Opportunities. You can get a special deal from us by going to fool.com.au forward slash EO podcast. That gives you a podcast deal, a special price. And as I've said many, 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 many times before, much cheaper than a cup of coffee a week. Cheaper than Doc's coffees. That's how cheap it is. Buy yourself a Motley Fool Extreme Opportunities subscription if you believe that Doc and Kevin are going to keep doing the best they can to deliver the best possible results for you, finding the biggest and best winners of tomorrow and some losers because that's exactly what Doc's just said they do. How they do it, you don't get the winners without... What is, what's the old say? You've got to kiss a lot of frogs to make your prince, I think the, the girls say. So, that's what um, it is. Let's, let's go with that. The, uh, the big winners, if and when they come, and I think they will, will come with um, some baggage. But the overall results have the potential to be stupendous. And certainly, um, David Gardner, who is our co-founder and chief rule breaker, has a service in the US, been running a lot longer than ours here, um, but has applied similar methodology. And we should say we're taking it from him rather than vice versa to give him full credit. Um, But Doc and Kevin are giving it their own special individual spin and certainly an Australian ASX vibe and looking for the best possible companies that are the big winners of tomorrow. That's fool.com.au forward slash EO podcast. If you want to know what the guys are doing next, it's a good time to join. All right, that's it. We're done, mate. This special Sunday mailbag edition. Don't forget you can and should subscribe to the podcast if you like this one. You want more by going to iTunes or your favorite Android podcast app. And of course, we're on Podcast One. If you like what we're doing, please give us a rating. Five stars would be much, much appreciated. Leave us a review if you wouldn't mind, but please say nice things. Um, One of our listeners did actually apparently, mate, listen to me on half speed this week after my mention of it last week. Um, David Gardner had talked about a review and we got a review that... Um, was listening to Scott on half speed. It was like listening to your drunk uncle. And so uh, one of our listeners did try that and apparently it was very funny. So I'm not saying that's advice. I'm not saying you should do it. I'm just saying that's what someone did. And if you want some entertainment, that could be worth doing. I was just trying to think, is that compliment or not? I doubt it. Yeah, okay. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and don't forget, you can get a dose of Foolish straight to your inbox and some marketing from our good people who will give you some good price to join our services by going to fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Triple M. That's it for this week's Motley Fool Money Mailbag. We'll be back next week with another dose of Foolish Insight. Fool on. Fool on. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. The Motley Fool operates under financial services license 400691.